Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Basically, we are nearly there. It is coming to the end of January. We have survived. And this is our final episode of Mental Health Month. And today I am speaking to someone who I'm absolutely fascinated to speak to because I'm speaking about something that I don't know an awful lot about. And it is family therapy. Uh, Welcome to the studio. Well, I'm not actually speaking to you in studio. Hello, Jim. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'll just allow the listeners in on the secrets that you're not in studio with me because of uh, social distancing. Um, so the sound might be slightly different to the other podcasts. Um, when we started Mental Health Month, we here at the podcast, we had an interview with Mark Smith who talked about two things. One was the importance of family therapy and how useful he find, thinks that it is. And two was how when you are working with a new therapist, you should always ask them what their qualifications are and what their interests are because it's an unregulated industry. So would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners because you've got um, an alphabet after your name and I don't really know what it means. Okay. Um, I'm a family therapist and a social worker. Okay. And, you know, this is to give the professional introduction, Stephanie. Uh, I'm a social worker and a family therapist and have worked for many years with with families uh, for a large part of my career within the Matter Hospital Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service. Okay. But, um, yeah. But, but also have worked in the last 20 years part-time in a university in Oslo, uh, the VID Specialized University, where I'm Professor of Family Therapy and Systemic Practice. I'm so, very fascinated yeah. to talk to you because um, I don't really know anything about family therapy and I'm wondering like, where to start. Is, is the family your client or is one particular person in the family your client? Well, you know, family therapy is really a kind of umbrella term for a way of doing therapy that's focused in relationships and focused on a kind of understanding of people's experiences and difficulties as kind of relationally embedded. So the family therapy as a practice is probably about no more than 70 years old. Right. And it was kind of, its origins uh, really were, were coordinated around the distinction between it and those approaches to to human problems, which kind of looks inside the person just themselves and tried to look at the inner workings of, of the person. Whereas family therapy, or what's often called systemic therapy, it's another word that's used for what's closely related to the family, family therapy, uh, is focused on the relationship between elements or the relationship between different members in a group. So it's always looking at the contextual relationship aspects of what's going on. And of course, that's particularly important in terms of, of mental health, where a great many uh, mental health issues have their origins in relationship uh, relationships that have gone wrong. You know, So where someone feels like 
isolated or there's been a rupture. What's that, Stephanie? So where someone feels like they, they're isolated or they there has been a rupture in a relationship and that is the, exactly. the start of the problem. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so and for someone to be in family therapy, is that like, and I'm the, the language I use might be really problematic, but is, is there like, is the family identified as the source of the problem of the individual or is it more like an individual comes to you they have some problems and you realize that by um cultivating support within their family unit they may come out of this problem or is the family the problem well it can be it can be a number of things it can be to do with the way the individual is connected or poorly connected into into fam- into their family okay or it can be to do with the the poor way that the family are coordinating themselves around around that individual but you know the there's an important emphasis here within family therapy and that is that it's it's not a kind of a vehicle for blaming the family as the source of individual problems. Okay. Because always when you look at the connection, you know, each person has their own context over time. And you know, when you What look, do you mean you by know, that? Yeah, yeah. Like like for example, a, a typical thing happens with say young adults in therapy yes. who come in and they're they're struggling maybe with a mental health issue and you know, almost inevitably, there have been issues between them and their parents. And often in late adolescence and early adulthood, there's a lot of time and energy felt spent in sort of blaming what parents uh, could do, didn't do, might have done. You know, and a, a typical progression in in a successful therapy is where the young person you know, begins to realize that their parents had parents themselves, you know. That seems like a natural kind of a phase that a lot of people would go through. Is that is that correct? Or would that would be a more? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very much so. Very much so. You know, the only problem is that that some some people have much more significant issues than others. And some people get into much more significant mental health uh, problems than others, you know. So for people like, listening, and of course, the problem is not always is not always in the in the families of of origin. It can be in 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 couple life. Yes. For 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 example, there was a very uh, well known study of depression adults who suffering with depression in London about forty years ago, where they compared uh, a group of people suffering with depression who got who got couples therapy with others who just got medication mm-hmm. and with others who got just individual cognitive behavior therapy. And the, the results clearly showed that the, the symptomatic person who was in couple therapy did a whole lot better than, than the others. So there's a certain sense in which relational therapy for different kinds of mental health symptoms makes a lot of sense to people. Maybe I'm not one of those people because also my family unit is is kind of a it's kind of a fragmented one and at the moment it's just me and my mother that I'm just wondering. So if so if people are listening to this and they wonder that they think that therapy would be good for them or someone in their family, how would you decide to come to family therapy rather than just sending the person who is presenting with the problem to an individual therapist on their own? Well, you see, I, I first of all, I wouldn't worry at all about going to a family therapist rather than a, a, another type of therapist, because mm-hmm. the key thing is that the the therapist works within a relational framework. Like, for example, say if you were in therapy, Stephanie, yeah. and you, you have a family and your mother and you are, you know, the central family pair, but let's say, yes. you know. I, I don't know. Maybe that is, maybe that isn't the situation. But it, it would be very strange if you were in therapy and somebody didn't, your therapist didn't talk to you about your relationship with your mother, you know? But that's not the same as my mother being present in the room. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And your mother doesn't, doesn't obviously doesn't have to be present in the room for, for good therapeutic progress to be made. However, One of the signifying things about family therapy is that it's a therapy 
that has usually has more than one generation in the room at the same time. Okay. That's a kind of a distinguishing feature of it, or certainly that it is open to that happening. And it doesn't necessarily have to happen. But the family therapist is usually open to the idea of another person in the family from another generation joining in the therapy for periods of time or having more than one generation in, in, in the room for the whole duration of the therapy, you know? So is it kind of correct to assume that like this kind of starts or this is for the benefit of a younger generation, like of a child? It's That's one of the places that family therapy grew most strongly right. in the in the treatment and assistance of young people with difficulties. So it's one of the places that family therapy is most strongly identified with. And in fact, the, the program that I was involved, the training program in family therapy that I was involved in, in starting with others in the in the early 1980s happened within a child and adolescent mental health service within the Matter Hospital. And it was a kind of a, a, a natural place for that to happen. However, family therapy is absolutely not confined just to child-related problems. It has a relevance with uh, problems and uh, health and mental health issues that uh, go on right throughout the life cycle. Would you be able to give us um, sort of an anonymized example of of some work that you've done to give people um, something to connect to their own lives in case this might be something that will be of use to them. To, to give them an example of a case. Yeah. Or something that would help the, not so that we're not speaking in such um, cerebral terms, uh, you know, that something concrete to compare it to, I suppose. Because what yeah. we have been talking about, for example, is, you know, Absolutely. if you identify yourself as someone who yeah. needs support, then you take yeah. yourself. But yeah. in the context of family therapy, how might it start? Yeah. For, for example, a very, a very typical kind of issue that that family therapists might work with would be with young women with eating disorders. Great. Right? OK. And and the therapist would would typically not just try and understand the the relationship of the young person or the young adult to food and food intake, but they would also look at the way that family relationships uh, had an impact on on the young person's in, engagement with with food, and in particular how the either the connection or disconnection. Uh, of the of the young person with their parents had had a part in all that because I know for, that particularly for yeah. eating disorders um a lot of people have asked me through my Instagram like what supports there are for people living with people with mental health problems or living with people with eating disorders because they don't want to they don't want to trigger them they don't want to say I've noticed you've stopped eating again or I've noticed that you're purging again and how to manage that so is that something that would be dealt with? In, in a family therapy session so that the whole uh, family is very, treated. Very, very much so. Very much so. And and often, often parents come along for consultations themselves about young people and their mental health and about how they should position themselves around, around the young person because they're very often anxious to, you know, not to do the wrong thing, not to make the problem worse. Yes, uh, and they're very concerned not to intervene in a way that harms their relationship with the young person, which can uh, often and you mean... often you often see this with with addiction issues as well, where a parent maybe notices that a young person is getting uh, more connected to substances than they would want for them, uh, and that it's having a, an increasing impact on their life. But very often the parent might have a very good relationship with the young person and be really anxious to to help, but to help in a way that doesn't hinder. So all, all of those kind of things are, are things that the family therapists get consulted about. Uh, and, and that means really looking with the parent at the the particularities of, of the young person uh, involved 
and the particular situation that they have with, with the young person in terms of their own relationship in thinking about what's the best way to try to uh, engage that person in some kind of dialogue, you know, because you have to remember, Stephanie, that all kinds of therapy yeah. are really about processes of reflection. You know, therapy is a it's a funny thing, but it's a kind of a stepping out of the world in a way. It's a kind of a stepping back into a place of reflection uh, and and paradoxically, it's a stepping away in order to have a closer look uh, at what's going on. And uh, that's that's a key bit, really, of every therapy and certainly of family therapy. But I suppose family therapy acknowledges that that mental health issues often have their incubation within within family relationships which have been maybe functioning not particularly well, you know. And so in the case of, let's say, the the child who has an eating disorder and the mother comes to you um, for support because they don't know how to bring this up with the child because they don't want to trigger them and they don't want to upset them, but they are concerned. In that situation, does the child is the child present for that? Or do you bring... Because I suppose with what what I'm interested in is if you are counselling someone, if you're advising someone or, or giving them therapy in the presence of the thing, the person that that is the source of the problem. Do you know what I mean? I can I imagine being in that situation. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and you see, in a way, uh, first of all, the therapy can start out just with a consultation with the parent, and then they may find, they may get the courage to successfully engage the young person in dialogue, and then that person may well come with them. Okay. So you may have a, a mother and a daughter, or parents and a son uh, coming for a consultation. And what the therapist is trying to do is to open, open up a space for a multiplicity of perspectives on the different issues that the family members bring up because always people experience these things differently you know uh, or, or for example a young person might might say listen you know yeah I'm taking a bit of stuff yeah I am taking a bit of stuff but you know it's no big deal and I don't think you should be going over the top about it uh, and there may be uh, you know a dialogue which brings into play a certain level of reassurance uh, for parents uh, or or the opposite, where a young person is really encouraged to have a closer look at their at their own personal practices around substance issues and is is open to considering that that more. And know? can I ask uh, you because i'm 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 imagining myself in this situation now, and um this might be a kind of an oppositional question, but <laughs> whose side are you on in that situation? Like as the therapist, are you? And I know it's not about sides, but if the ter- if if the parent is saying I'm concerned about the drug use, and and the child is saying, yeah, look, I do take a bit of stuff, but like you need to calm down because everyone's doing it, and you're a really overprotective parent, and you're always on my back, and like as the family therapist, who whose whose side are you on? What's that? Whose side are are you on there? Well, or how you're, do you come you're, to you're, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're not you're not on anybody's side, but you're on you're on the side of of good. You're on the side of good functioning for both the parent and the young person. So you might you might well uh, say to the young person, well, you know, from what I hear you you saying, I'm not altogether surprised that your mother is worried. Right. Yes. But let but let me ask you about the way she worries and whether the way she worries is helpful to you or not, or whether she's worrying enough, too much or just in the right way. You know, so you're kind of trying to open up a dialogue, but also, you know, acknowledge the issues, particularly where young people are concerned, you know. Yes. Uh, And really, you know, they. You know, people come to you as therapists for particular things because you have experience. You exactly, know, it's not yes. that you're just it's not that you're just a family therapist. 
you know, people come to you because you're a family therapist who has experience in certain areas and who knows a territory reasonably well. And what would those kind of territories be like? Eating those kinds of territories can can be, for example, like like eating disorders. They can be child and adolescent problems. They can be marital problems. They can be post-separation relational issues. Uh, they can be health issues in later life. They can be sexual issues within a couple. They can be power-related issues within within the functioning of couples. They can be couple transitions after uh, things like having having your first child. Yes. Uh, okay. Couple transitions in terms of getting older, you know, uh, and facing into other parts of life. So it really is an approach to work that has a relevance right, right through the, the life cycle. You That's know? fascinating because it's now that you've now that you've said it, it makes like it makes total sense that those are things that um uh, very many people face and f- really struggle with, you know, like marital problems and the effects on children or or how couples navigate now being parents when they were just a couple before. And it's exactly. something that I hear a lot of people being like, God, we're really struggling since the baby arrived. But I didn't realize that there was a there was a support specifically for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things that gets a bit hidden in in our society Uh, And that is the issue about the transition for couples from being just a couple to being parents as well as a couple. We're we're only beginning to acknowledge, you know, once we get over the wonderful celebration of the appearance of children and everybody is totally delighted because it may well be something that both people want and that the wider family wants and so on. Very often couples then uh, face alone the transition about how on God's name do I combine now being a couple with being a parent? And that is a transition that I think is uh, so difficult for so many people. And you often, I, I work a lot with families where there's been a separation and there's struggles of different kinds after separation. I work a lot with families at during those transitions. And one of the things I find when I talk to parents about, you know, tell me how your relationship was and how how did it go? When did problems begin to emerge? And so many families tell me everything was great until our first child arrived, right? We were delighted, but, but I never realized it was diff- it was going to be so difficult for us to get back into some kind of rhythm, you know, yeah. our sexual our sexual life seemed to go out the window, or uh, you know, we seemed to have no time for each other because the child was, you know, a bit colicky over the first year and required an awful lot of attention and up and down at night and sleeplessness and so on, you know. And then before you you before you know where you are, you're into a child going to school. So I think we don't we don't pay enough attention in our society to those normal kind of transitions that can be extremely difficult, even even if you have good extended family support and even if you don't have the challenges associated with unemployment or relative poverty and so on, you know. I want to talk to you about another podcast on our network, which is called Sissy That Pod. If you like RuPaul's Drag Race, you're not going to need me to do any more explaining. But if you don't know it and you are interested in watching it, RuPaul's Drag Race is a drag show. It's on Netflix. It's everywhere. RuPaul is a queen. And Sissy That Pod, watch the episodes and review them, pull them apart, pick the legs off them. It's very entertaining. James and Keen are hilarious and know, seem to know an awful lot about drag. Um, in a way that is fun and insightful. So if you like RuPaul's Drag Race, you're going to love this podcast. Check it out. Come on, sissy that pod. Let's get sickening. Are you a fan of the Emmy Award winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, sissy that pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right. Whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play. (laughs) 
And what are the things that I've asked this to to the other um, psychologists that we've speaking, spoken to? What are the things that are are sort of normal and and not not in any way pathologized? And and when you should say actually this isn't this isn't normal now, and and now we should probably look at just maybe getting some some help together. Because obviously, if if you say in that in that instance, every couple is going to struggle a little bit when when their first baby arrives. I imagine too you know, t- to sort of find a new groove. And some families then won't find that. And that's when exactly. the marital problem. So at what point, what should you be looking out for? Or what are the things that are kind of flags that like, actually, we might need some help here? Well, yeah, absolutely. And very often couples will come and maybe their their first after their first child and the first child is two. And they come and they say, you know, not sure really whether we should be in couple therapy or not, we're not really sure whether we uh, need couple therapy. And we certainly don't want to be wasting your time. But we're finding that, uh, you know, since we've we've had uh, Trevor, uh, we've only had sex uh, one and a half times uh, in the last two years, you know? Yeah. And, and we're just we're just wondering, is, is that normal? You know, and that's a very that's a very good question, because. Couples, uh, even though we talk about a lot of things with your friends and so on, you know, talking about your sexual life together is not something that people do easily. Yes. You know, they don't do that easily. So they often uh, can kind of have a conversation around that. And a therapist can say to them, well, hey, you know what? Yes, it's a it's a normal thing to have some uh, challenges in kind of making that bridge uh, to a place where your child gets settled and a lot of things can make it more difficult for couples. But let's look at what things might be what things might be happening for you in relation to Trevor and your life that have made this kind of movement from a relatively good, fluent sexual life to one where it doesn't seem possible to get together sexually at all, you know? Uh, and because the couple usually know that this is not okay, you know, yes. they wouldn't be presenting if if somebody wasn't concerned about it, you know. Uh, and is and, that and one that then, might start with with an individual consultation as well, and then and then the other person might like would a might a man or a woman come? Absolutely, absolutely. It may well start with one person coming on their own and being feeling a bit a bit unsupported, or. Or somebody coming along and saying, you know what, you like, I really love my husband and we just had a baby two years ago. But you know what, he's gone kind of quite distant and uh, 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 he seems to be spending more work uh, in the in the center where he works uh, in the evening time. And he's not coming home sometimes until about half seven or eight, you know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't seem to be taking that much interest in me. And I kind of have a, an idea in the back of my head. I keep wondering, I know him totally wrong and I may be paranoid but I keep wondering if he's if there's somebody else involved in his life you know uh, but I wouldn't say that to him because I wouldn't want to think him to think that I didn't trust him you know yes and so uh, in that case they might you might they might eventually come in to together to speak about it exactly exactly yeah yeah and and the the the, the woman might be supported to find a way of raising the issue with her husband. You know, very often a a big part of therapy is helping people to name the fact that there are issues, you know, and that there are things that are really of concern to one or other or or several people in the family. We have a great great capacity just to, to, in most cultures, I think, just to ignore. And and of course, life is busy enough outside the family uh, for people just to go on with everything they're doing and to kind of have a have a big routine. Uh, and, and even so, there's a great possibility of just avoidance uh, yes. of naming things. And is it ever the case that like that a couple would come to you or that a family would come to you? Well, a family less so, but that a couple would come to you and say, like, this isn't working and we're finding that we're struggling and, you know, we're not having sex and we're not getting on. And that as the therapist for the relationship, you would, you would kind of come to the conclusion that actually it's it's not working and that they should part? Or do you think that everything is is kind of solvable? 
Of, of course, everything is not solvable. But but usually when people have uh, gone to the bother of getting together, uh, f- forget even the reality, say, of having children or not, which adds it another dimension in. But, you know, it's, it's quite a lot of upheaval for you in your life to get together with another person, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, as often many people come in therapy, you say to me in couple therapy, you know what? My life was actually going rather well before I got together with Trevor, you know? Yeah. I had a good life, you know? Uh, and then, but of course, they, they have to acknowledge that they thought life would be better getting by getting together with Trevor. Um, but, uh, it, you, you know, they... They then have to have to work through the issues. Of course, not everything is resolvable. And, and certainly we live in a culture today in, in Ireland where it's much more OK to to separate out of your couple and out of your family. It's much more it's much more acceptable. It doesn't mean that it's ever easy. And I, and I think we often confuse those things that there's not the there's not the stigma associated with yeah. separation that there used to be. Do you know, I, I separated myself after my first marriage when I was about 27 years of age, having married at 20, 21 for the first time. And uh, I can remember in those years the stigma associated with being separated. Yeah, you know, really in the hard. workplace, socially, familially, that's very different now, really different now. There mm. isn't that, there isn't that stigma. But what I think our society forgets is the fact that separation is hugely traumatic in most instances. You know, the 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 sort of picture of a couple who gradually come to an understanding uh, that this is not for them and that they both sort of with a certain degree of contentment agree to separate without difficulty and without too much anger that rarely happens yeah it that rarely, rarely happens do you know i think rarely happens. marriage aside just couples in general that break up i think there's a prevalence because every single television show every single song that we hear everything has a breakup in it and it's so pervasive that we think that yes. ah sure everyone goes through it it's fine but it the trauma yeah. that's involved with it is can be so debilitating and the sort of unknowable uncontrollable wildness of that grief i think a lot of people do underrate it can really derail people yes absolutely it can and you know at the back of all that stephanie there's this other way of thinking about couples uh, that's wrapped up in an idea of romantic love, you know, and romantic love is a very prevalent idea still in our culture. And, you know, it's when people feel that sense of romance and love that they want to kind of get closer together and and often think about uh, uh, living together once that sort of feeling comes in. But the problem with that way of thinking and way of experiencing thing is that if it begins to go, people panic and can get really anxious. So a lot of a lot of couples come to therapy and say, well, you know what? Our family is going fine. The kids are going up great. You know, they're doing well in school and we've no worries about them. But something has really gone from our life. I don't feel the I don't feel any romantic feelings for Bernadette anymore or, do you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, or Thomas. And and I, I'm really in a panic and I'm wondering, should I separate? Because how can I how can I go on if I don't have these feelings, you know, but and that's very that's what? very disconcerting. That's very disconcerting for people. Uh, but are you saying that that romance is something that that is sort of idealized or that it's it's not something that necessarily needs to be there all of the time for something to be functional. I, yeah, I think it is. And I think it's oh, I think it's idealized and I think it's overvalued. And I think that what happens is that if that becomes, a, you know, a, an enduring primary kind of value, other other values to do with family life get really lost uh, like, for example, the support of another adult in going through life, like the support of another adult in terms of of raising children, like the support of another adult in in dealing with COVID, you know, yeah. or whatever, 
you know, uh, and an ordinary kind of daily, the daily love that happens between people who, who do things for each other and who watch out for each other and care for each other, you know. Um, and, and very often couples have to re like really reflect on all that and about the meaning of the meaning of romance in their life. And, and then really consider it because some people will say, well, God Almighty, you know, if this feeling is gone, how could I possibly have how could I possibly have sex with somebody I don't have these feelings for? Do you know? Yeah. Uh, these romantic feelings. And then, you know, you have to look and say, well, actually, you know, you can you can have sex with somebody you don't have a burgeoning romantic feeling for, you know, uh, and it's possible to keep your relationship going. Now, if. If somebody else then, because very typically in our culture, what happens is that that somebody else comes in to fill that romantic void. Uh, and that's when people often come to therapy where somebody begins to kind of respond and say, golly, I'm having these romantic feelings with somebody else. And, uh, you know, what should I do? Because actually my family is fine. My husband or wife have never done anything wrong to me. But now all of a sudden, you know, I've met somebody in the workplace and I'm having these strong feelings for him or her. Uh, and what do I do? And those kind of dilemmas are very typical in the context of family therapist's work and couples therapist's work. And in that case, would it be the couple that's in the room as well or just the individual? Sorry, Stephanie, I didn't hear you. In, in that in that situation, like if someone's coming to you saying, I've I've met someone in the workplace and I'm having romantic feelings for them, would that be something that someone would say, um, in an individual session or or would that often sometimes be in the presence of the other they they, they might first of all say it in just on their own I with guess, the therapist yeah. they might raise that with the therapist first on their own and say i'm not sure what i should do uh you know i'm not even sure whether i want to leave uh because uh it would be a huge step in my life if i was to leave uh, and they might want to think about that th through that very carefully with the therapist. And they might say, well, actually, golly, you know, sometimes the, the emergence of this feeling has really been a kind of a red flag for me in terms of my marriage to think about what, you know, what have I allowed, what vacuums have I allowed to build in, uh, in the relationship into which this other romantic partner uh, has entered. So it can lead to a very positive reflection about things like that. S sometimes those reflections then can involve the, the husband or wife as well, where people get the courage to open that up. Uh, do you know? And that's never easy. That's no, never well, easy. I'm just imagining that, that sounds like very Never easy. Yeah. 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 But but sometimes people do. And I have to say that, you know, I've been in practice now as a couple and family therapist for about 45 years. And I notice huge differences in terms of the way people handle issues of affairs or, you know, either sexual affairs or affairs of the heart, you know, without yeah. the sex. Uh, it's very different. Like in the old days, when I talked about the old days, I mean, like the 70s and 80s. Yes. Uh, Golly, when these things happen, you know, you'd have a flower pot put over your head pretty quickly yeah. uh, for for stepping out of line and you'd be out that door as quick as you could say Jack Robinson, yeah. you know. Uh, nowadays, it's it's a much more, um, what should I say, it may be traumatic, but the pace is more leisurely where therapists come into it and there's a dialogue and there's a discussion, well, how much do you really love this other person? Have you stopped the affair? Do you still want to continue it? Do you really want to leave? Uh, what do you feel for me? You know, uh, what kind of sex are you having with her or him? Is it better than the sex you have with me? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that kind of uh, dialogue kind of can happen now Whereas I think 30 to 40 years ago, it, it didn't happen. And there was just a, a kind of very brief truncation where the relationship split off and somebody was kicked out uh, of the family home uh, and very often kicked out of children's lives as well. Whereas now when these things happen for couples, there's so much more at stake for them with respect to children. So even, even the wounded, traumatized partner where the other person has had an affair or is having an affair is very aware of the stakes uh, for children as well, you know, 
so so all of those dimensions often come into it when 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 the family therapist or the couples therapist is is dealing with uh, the couple in the context of an affair, you know. I, that's fascinating. And I wonder, like, I always think it's better to have have dialogue and that things shouldn't be looked at in such a in such a binary way of like, you have done this, therefore this must happen, that that there is some sort of like nuance to that if you can be guided by a mental health professional. Um, exactly. But those are very difficult conversations to have. Um, but that doesn't yeah. mean that they shouldn't happen. Yeah, they are difficult and they're about holding multiple realities together uh, in the context of a relationship. So you're really what's often at stake is the couple stretching their possibilities, you know, uh, because very often when in dealing with those kind of issues, they they open up the possibility for the couple to be much more honest and open and direct with each other. Uh, and and get away with get away from sort of naming things just as as difficulties. You know, I'm thinking too of issues like one of the kind of conversations that the family and couples therapists have is often around sexuality and sexual uh, preferences. You know, okay, and, and you know, like I, I I can think in the past if somebody somebody was discovered having a same sex contact or they spent a night with somebody. Uh, of the same sex, you know, one would be immediately labeled gay or lesbian or, you know, uh, receive a, a label of some kind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that the sort of the dialogical assumptions underneath uh, family therapy and other relational therapies are really to to kind of encourage people to try to describe their experiences without labeling themselves. Do you know? Okay. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, just because I, you know, if I'm uh, Bernadette and I go off and I spend a night or an afternoon in bed with with a good friend of mine, uh, you know, Sophie, uh, do, do I have to do I have to label myself lesbian now and, and leave my husband? You know, or yes. uh, are, are there ways of, of looking at that and opening up conversations about desire? You know, because at the end of the day, you know, what what is a couple if we can't use that space to get to know ourselves and the other person a little bit deeper? And usually that means getting to know the mystery of who each of us is a little bit more uh, and, and not solving all those riddles of who we are, but very often living with the riddles, living with the mysteries, living with the puzzles, you know? That's where uh, the kind of discomfort comes in. Certainly for me, like I... I I find it very difficult to hold two two conflicting ideas uh, together yeah. at the same time. So, like you know, if say if my ex boyfriend cheated on me, that he was saying like, but I still care about you. That I can't hold like someone can care about you and hurt you, and those two things can exist at the same time. Whereas my brain yeah. wants to be like, no, if someone hurts you, they obviously don't care about you. Um, yeah. In yes. the same way that people are binary about about their sexuality, about what they believe a relationship could be and should be and um to have someone to to help navigate all of those things within the context of a relationship i i like my mind is kind of blown here i didn't really realize that that i thought we were going to be talking about young children in a family having therapy but yeah. actually what you're saying is that within any sort of dyad any two people who are in relation to each other be that a romantic relationship or familial relationship, maybe even some sort of friendships that are important to people, that there is you and there is the other person. And then there is this third thing between you, which is the relationship. And there is therapy for that relationship rather than you as individuals. That's right. And, and the therapy often involves trying to help people to hold the polarities and hold their ambivalences, do you know, mm -hmm. and hold the contradictions because life is full of contradictions, you know, and relationships are full of contradictions. And the therapy is often about trying to create a space where those contradictions can be can be looked at honestly and held without allowing them to to split uh, the relationship. Do you know when we were before we came on, on on to do this podcast, Stephanie, one of one of the things I wrote, one of the little things I wrote for myself was, you know, 
the family is a place where wounds happen, but it's also a place where forgiveness happens too. So, and where the so, place the wound can be he- healed, like it's exactly. that's probably the best place for it to be healed. Yeah, the place where it happened. yeah, yeah, or at least are at least managed. Do you know because there are many wounds, for example, in in family life that never never get completely healed. Do you know? But they get to be carried. They get yeah. to be carried within the within a relationship, and they their meaning gets to be maybe smaller over time. You know, and I think uh, even just having those things seen and and named and 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 felt, so that people in your unit acknowledge that something has happened to you. Sometimes that's very much of what people need. It's a lot of what people need. It's just to be seen and to be acknowledged. Like I recognise that this thing is happening for you, and it's very painful. And it's very, not my job very, to fix it, but yeah, I just yeah. am saying that I see it. Very, very much so. Very much so. And and that's to do with relationship between parents and young people as well. Because a lot of the family therapy with parents and young people is actually about parents maybe hearing for the first time something about the way they've wounded uh, a child or young person within the family. Maybe by favoring a sibling or favoring them, another sibling in relation to activities, leading over time to some siblings feeling, you know, uh, less, less loved, less cared for and so on by one parent. And that is, of course, felt as a, often as a wound in the family that can that can grow into all kinds of behavior and other issues as well. So the therapy is actually about helping those kind of events to be to be recognized, do you know, uh, um, and acknowledged. And then and then, of course, some kind of correction happening within yeah, that, too. That's you important. Know? And making making a, a space for for that to happen and cre- providing the therapist, providing the support to parents and children to take the risk to allow a relationship to grow again, you know. And so for for people listening, just for as we finish up, if there are people listening who are sort of intrigued by what you're saying, but not still fully sure if if it's something that's for them, is there any sort of um, things that you would recommend them to consider that they things that they should think about in order to make the decision or, or to be confident in the decision that family therapy or couples therapy might be might be a runner for them? I know that mm-hmm. a lot of people are struggling, particularly in this lockdown, yeah. having spent an awful lot of time, more time than ever with their families and that things might be a little bit fractured or a little bit tense. Yes, yes. You, you know, and, I, and I'd say with regard to any kind of, of therapy, one of the things I think that could be really good if you were a listener in, in that position would be to try and make a few notes to get a pad, you know, or a notebook and to try and write a few words for yourself about something that you've been struggling with and then to write another few words about what it is that you've tried to do to address this, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then a third bit might be, who might I need to talk to before I think about whether I should get the help of a therapist, you know? And uh, so have I done, have I done all that I can do myself to address this difficult thing that I'm experiencing? Yes. Uh, and if I feel I have, and I feel I can't go forward without the, the support of a therapist, then to do it, you know, yeah. then to do it and to get, to get in, 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 onto some of the websites about the therapy association. For example, there's a, there's a family therapy association of Ireland that has a website and there's lots of people who uh, are on that, on the, the register of family therapists who are all over the country, you know, and who'll have their contact details. Yeah. So that could be that could be a place a place to go. Great, we'll know? put that in the show notes as well for anyone listening. Um, yeah, I just want to thank you so much for your time and and for your expertise. Um, you have been absolutely enlightening and. I guess thank you for all the work that you do. I mean, I haven't really had much experience of it or knowledge of it up to now, but it seems very impressive and sounds like you've helped a remarkable number of people. So from me, thank you. You know, Stephanie, well, first of all, thank you very much for saying that. But one thing I'd want to say is that all the people I've worked with have given me a huge amount in my life. 
and they've enriched my life and my thinking about my life very deeply and often a lot more deeply than some of them will ever realize. So we're always as therapists often a lot more moved by our clients and by the themes that they bring to us than, than can ever be shared directly. That's but, a really... But- Beautiful sentiment. And I've heard some of our other therapists this month say that that it's a privilege to work, to do the work that they do. And I don't it think really as the it client, really as someone who's been in therapy a frequent amount, you don't really think that you're bringing anything but burden and nuisance into the lives of, of your clinicians. So it's it's very reassuring to hear that. That's good. That's good. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Basically. Um, I do really appreciate you listening to the podcast. It makes it all worthwhile, particularly when you get in touch and when you share or if you could make the effort to go and like it or subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify. That really does make a difference. Um, Or there is now a new option in how you can support me. Uh, You can go to headstuffpodcast.com and become part of our community which means that for five euro a month or however much you want to give, you can become part of the Headstuff community and get extra bonus content and support. You pick basically any of the podcasts on our network and you can support my podcast 100% or you can split it 50-50 with another podcast and then we would get half of your subscription money or you could go and pick three and then we get 33% each and it's a great way to get bonus content obviously to get to know the podcasters more and to become a more intimate member of the community um, I would really appreciate if you could do that so if that's not something that you're able to do right now just share share the podcast with someone send it to someone you think will find it interesting or let me know how you found it on Instagram as ever our graphic design is by Kahlo Gara and our music is by Only Ruin and we are part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network and we film at the podcast studios uh, you don't really need to know where that is but it's in Dublin anyway thanks for listening bye This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.